This is Focal Point for Thursday, the 23rd of April, 2009. Free is a new business model. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Padney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you going? Really well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? I'm happy. I'm happy. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about something which actually fits in very well with Focal Point because Focal Point is a free podcast that that you and I do every couple of weeks, a couple of times a month, uh, to share our ideas with the world. And the key word there, the, the operative word, is this free. And partly we do it because uh, out, of, out of the goodness of our hearts, because we mm-hmm. want to increase the the level of knowledge in the world and uh, how, to, how to teach people to use the internet more effectively. And partly it helps us build our reputation online and perhaps gets our name known in the world. And I run a business that uh, helps people with this, Chris, so perhaps it's more important for me than it is for you, but it does increase your reputation online as well. So today we're going to be talking about this whole idea of free. One of the things that Web 2.0 does, it takes publishing out of the hands of just a few and puts it in the hands of the many. So we've talked about the internet has changed from a download culture change and upload culture. So now Google, for example, is a free search engine. Wikipedia is a free encyclopedia. YouTube lets you be a movie producer for nothing. Blogger gives you your own newspaper column. iTunes gives you your own radio station. Flickr lets you publish your photography like professional photographers would do. And the key thing, as I said, is all of these services are free. So the real question is, is everything that's any good now free? And is everything that's free any good? And I guess from a business perspective, the really important question is, will free destroy your business? Uh, or let's turn it the other way around. Can you use it to boost your business? So that's what we're going to talk about now, the idea of everything or almost everything being available free and what are some of the implications for us as consumers and also particularly as business owners. All right, so let's let's talk about some of the benefits of this this whole idea of things being free. So from from a business point of view, and I, I consult with clients about this sort of thing all the time, and my clients are speakers, trainers, consultants, information experts who actually make their money by selling information. Quite often they do it by presentations in the front of a room or by creating products. So this idea of the things becoming free is of real interest to them, and so a lot of concern to them as well. But I look at it the other way around. It, it really is something that by providing free content, you get people into your community, you get people to know about you, you, you build an online reputation so that people do come to, to buy more from you. Yeah, that's right, Gihan. That's a fairly new development, isn't it? Because previously, I think free was more about getting traffic. Um, a lot of people were concerned with and still are concerned with getting traffic to their websites. But um, the the thing that you've been emphasizing more recently is the idea of building an on- online reputation and free can help you do that as well. Definitely. And I think that's one of the biggest changes in internet marketing in the last few years, but it's been happening over the last five to eight years, so now there's so many websites that people just won't necessarily visit a website anymore just because they see www in front of some letters. You have to prove that you're an expert before they visit your website. So part of what part of your role is to 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 increase your internet footprint, if you like, so to create your online reputation uh, in places other than your website, and that might be by giving things away that are free. And uh, there's two forms of free as well that we should emphasise here. So there's free in terms of costs being charged, and they're sometimes referred to as free in beer, 
But uh, even better than that is the idea of free as in speech. So that is that um, any service or content that you use, you're unencumbered in the way that you use it, so you can reuse it for your own purposes if you like. So you've got free as in beer and then free as in speech as well. And just from a marketing point of view, I mean, marketers have always known that free is a magic word, that uh, when something's available free, it's, it's always better to say buy one, get one free than buy two for the price of one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's this beautiful experiment that Dan Ariely performed, and uh, I think it's a beautiful experiment because it talks about one of the five major food groups, which is chocolate. <laughs> and uh, in his book, Predictably Irrational, he talks about this experiment where he offers, he does it at a university, I think it's at, I think it's at MIT where he's, uh, where he's based, and he does this experiment where he has a stand set up and he has two chocolates. So one's a... Let's say, let's say Cadbury-type chocolate. Actually, I think it's a Hershey bar, which is um, in the U.S. It's kind of a – it's chocolate, so it's good anyway, but it's kind of an ordinary kind of chocolate. And he has these Belgian truffles, which are these, you know, mouth-watering, tasty, individual masterpieces of, of the chocolate world that you know have been lovingly put together by some Flemish chocolatier somewhere. <laughs> and you have the choice of two, and he says you can you can have one, and you have to buy one, but they're both heavily discounted. So, so let's say, for example, that the, um, the the normal chocolate, the Hershey or the Cadbury's, is ten cents, and the truffle is fifty cents. So now, people who know chocolate would um, would still go for the truffle, even though it's more expensive, because they realise that it's been discounted by a lot. So they go for the truffle. So then he decreased the price further. So he said, okay, let's decrease it by five cents. So the the normal chocolate went down to five cents. And the truffle was now 45 cents, but still people saw the value of that and they still went for the truffle. And he kept producing it, so he reduced it by down to 4 cents, 3 cents, 2 cents, 1 cent. So when it was 1 cent, if my maths is right, then the truffle was 41 cents, I think that's right. Um, and still they went for the truffle. But then he reduced it 1 cent further, so then the normal chocolate was free. And the truffle was 40 cents, which is still a huge bargain and still better value. And yet suddenly people started flocking over to the, – they, they changed their decision. They went for the one that was free. Right. Um, so it just really proved in a very dramatic way the, the power of the word free. Yeah, absolutely. I know which one I'd go for. Those first <laughs> <you> truffles. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so the other thing about this this whole idea of free is that um, the concept that you can make money through your content, not from your content. So what I mean by that is that perhaps the days of selling an ebook uh, for money are over. I'm not saying you can't sell ebooks for money. There are people who are still doing that very successfully, but there were many who were selling that information for money, and now they have to give that information away free because people can get that elsewhere. But they make money from some of the follow-on things that that happen as a result of that. Yeah, that's right, Gihan. I remember we both uh, put together some e-books which we were selling online and still are selling online. Um, and then more recently, I came across um, a rival e-book about the same subject, Siamese cats, and the guy was giving it away for free. So, um, like you say, uh, the, the cost of, of um, creating this content is going down and selling this stuff versus the free stuff uh, becomes a, a difficult proposition. That's right. So my, my latest book which I did print in hard copy, is available uh, for purchase from my website. It's called Websites for Speakers, Trainers, Coaches and Consultants. It's all about my target market and how they can build a successful and effective website for themselves. So you can buy that from my website, but I've also made it downloadable free. 
and you can download the ebook version for nothing. So just go to gihanperera.com and you, you'll find a link in the in the free stuff area in the menu. And the reason I did that is because I want people to read that and even pass it on to others and distribute it as far and wide as possible so that then they will come to me for consulting, um, mentoring, for web design, for internet marketing, for those services. So I want to allow people to get access to that freely, but I would rather get a $5,000 consulting contract than sell a $30 book. Um, and initially, I was being very careful about who I gave it away to, so I would offer it to my clients free. Uh, then I decided, okay, well, maybe my whole newsletter list should be getting it free. But now I've just made it available freely on the site. And I even took away the registration, so no, you no longer have to give me your name or your email address. There's just a mm-hmm. little PDF link, and you can download that. So anybody who follows me on Twitter, I send them a little message saying, hey, download my new ebook. Um, so I'm taking away as many barriers as possible because I'm really embracing this idea that free is really the, the new business model for me, that I, I want to give that stuff away free and then sell the stuff that people can't download and copy and, and distribute among uh, their friends and, and, and colleagues. Another example, I'm doing a similar thing with some teleseminars, Chris. So I'm offering free teleseminars. Uh, every couple of weeks, and maybe every two, three, maybe even every four weeks, where I'll answer some, uh, just a question and answer session where people can dial in, they can ask me questions, and I'll respond to them. And again, it's, I'm giving people a, a free sample of what they would get if we did some consulting work or mentoring work or did some uh, one-on-one work together in a more intensive form. But here's a free sample of what you're getting. And so my intent there is to go, well, wow, if this is, if this is what he can give me in a free teleseminar off the top of his head, just answering questions, imagine what I'd get if I was, if we sat down and worked through a strategic plan and then did this three month intensive work with me and my website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I guess it's, it's timely, Chris, that at this time there's within, in this video on the internet, which I think I remember reading somewhere that this is the most visited video on YouTube ever, which is Susan Boyle on Britain's Got Talent. Yeah, I, when I I hadn't visited it until you pointed it out to me, and I think it had around about 38 million uh, views when I went to see it. So I can believe that it's well, well up there in terms of most viewed or viewing counts. Yes, yeah, so the video for people who haven't seen it, and if you just search for Susan Boyle, B-O-Y-L-E, on, video, on YouTube, you'll find it, uh, is, a, is a singer, a 47-year-old um, unknown singer, so yet to be discovered singer from Glasgow, who appeared on the Britain's Got Talent show, which is a bit like American Idol or Australian Idol, and she... She comes across as fairly unassuming, not the sort of person you'd imagine to have a great singing voice, and especially at 47. So you'd think that somebody who had a great voice would have been discovered long before then. But she comes on, and the judges are very skeptical. The audience is – you can already sense that they're against her. They they know that she's going to fail. And then within four or five bars, it turns out that she's just got this amazing voice, and they can get a standing ovation. The judges are completely stunned, and they um, a couple of days later, they issued apologies, saying we just completely misjudged her, and that is a real wake-up call for us. And, and it's become a super viral video. And as a result of that, as a result of that video, which is available free on YouTube, and she's then picked up a whole bunch of media exposure. She's almost, you know, the, the experts say she's almost certainly going to get a recording contract straight away. And yeah. that's because she did this, did this thing which appeared on free-to-air television and then got picked up and distributed via the internet. Yeah. 
Okay, so we've talked about a lot of the reasons why we should be looking at free and why free is something that we should be considering. I'm kind of excited about this, Chris, because, you know, you and I have talked about the fact that we've been using the Internet for 20 plus years now. And in the early days, it was all about information that was free, uh, a, a tool for sharing information freely. Yes, as you say, in the early days when we first started using it, there was little commercial activity on the Internet. Um, it was mostly academics that were using it. Um, and as a consequence, most of the activity that went on was was free, freely available. Um, so it's kind of come, come full circle because we've gone through the dot-com boom where there was a lot of commercial interest in building uh, businesses online, um, but now a lot of those businesses are making available free content. So we're back to the days where much of the services and, and activity on the internet is free. Back in the late 90s, I set up Used Music Web, and that uh, evolved into offloadonline.com, and both of those were free music trader classifieds websites. So if you had any um, musical items that you wanted to sell, uh, recordings that is, like CDs or records, those big black CDs that they used to have, um, and so forth, then you could list them on my website, and um, if people were interested in purchasing them, then they could contact the person who'd made the listing and they negotiate um, negotiate selling and buying. So uh, both of those services were free. There, were no, there was no charge to use them. Um, and my main, my main idea was just getting some experience setting up websites and, and programming the back ends of them. But at the same time, I experimented with generating revenue from them. So the service and the content was free, but at the same time, there were um, online ads and um, links to uh, things like CDNow and Amazon.com in order to attempt to generate revenue. So, yeah, mostly a free service. Right, and they turned you into a gazillionaire, which you are now. It did. I earned hundreds of cents, Gihan. <laughs> so that's an interesting, it's an interesting point, Chris, that some people will be listening to this and going, okay, well, that's just, you know, that's just either that's silly or I haven't got the time to do this. Um, I'm already struggling to make money in my business and to find time to do things outside my business. How am I ever going to find the time to publish free content on the internet? And yet, part of it is that there were still things in it for you. So you learned how to use that material, how to use some of the, those programming skills. You got some experience in something in a, in a fairly small scale. If you ever want to scale up, then you'd have that experience to fall back on. And you know, you're providing a service to people and there are, None of those things should be underestimated, that if you're really passionate about what you're doing, um, part of what you're doing is getting it out free, and that has value in itself. That's right, yep. Uh, and you and I have both been long-term users of free and open-source software, so you probably more than I, Chris, so you've been using things like Linux. I, I use Firefox as my main web browser, but I do use commercial emails programs like Microsoft Outlook, whereas you use Thunderbird, which is, again, the, the, the free or the open-source email client, which is just as good as anything that's out there that's commercial. That's right. Uh, you mentioned this term, open-source. So they're, they're, they're um, items of software that are free in both sense of senses of the word. They're free of cost and they're free um, in that you can get the source code for them and you can modify and extend the software if you want to. Um, so that gives them a lot of attraction in the sense that if there are bugs in them, they're quickly fixed. If there are security problems, then they're picked up quite early, which is, uh, again, uh, one of the powerful aspects of the free as in speech, free as in beer ideas. Yeah, and I think that's a really, really important point to make, that if you're wondering about should I be doing stuff free now, um, you know, 
you better be doing it because there's so much free stuff that's available now anyway. It's it's a case of you can't if you can't beat them, join them, and if you don't, you're going to be struggling because you're going to be falling behind. And this is not a case of you holding on to stuff as long as possible until your customers demand that you make it available freely. It's just a case that your customers will go somewhere else where it is available freely. Um, and there are whole industries and business models which are failing now, such as newspapers and some of the even some of the other electronic media, so traditional electronic media, which are s- struggling and suffering and in some cases dying because they try to hold on to this old model where people pay for information rather than uh, changing and adapting and moving with the times where that information is available free anyway. Yeah, that's right, Gihan. The, uh, the article by Chris Anderson for Economics, which you might discuss in a moment, uh, he's pointed out that one of the reasons this has come about is that the costs associated with providing web services is, is dropping precipitously all the time. So the cost of storage, the cost of bandwidth, the cost of processing power, these are dropping exponentially. And at the same time, you have um, a, a great increase in the numbers of people who are using the web. So these, the cost of servicing, the, the per user cost is, is negligible. So the idea of being able to provide things for free or for negligible cost um, is inevitable. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. It's, it's when we say negligible, it really is virtually free. So mm. the, the marginal cost of having a new member to your to your membership site, or having a new subscriber on your email newsletter list, or having somebody follow your blog in an RSS reader, the marginal cost is so close to zero that it might as well be zero. That's right. Um, so you mentioned that that Chris Anderson article, which uh, he calls it Freakonomics, which is a bit of a play on words of Stephen Levitt's book, Freakonomics, as uh, so it's spelled slightly differently. But he's talking about this idea that now we've got this free economy. And again, he's making some of the points that we've just made, that you just can't afford not to give stuff away anymore. That's right, he does. And so the, the question that arises, thank you, Han, is that with free content being the, the way that the web is headed, the way the internet is headed, then how, uh, how can one build business models around this disruptive idea? So, okay, so let, let's, let's take one of the examples that, that you noted, Chris, and I came across this story as well, but you, you made this note about this uh, prediction that universities will be relevant by 2020. So let's use that. As, do you want to talk about that briefly, and then we'll talk about how universities can still be around. But what, what's this kind of controversial idea, provocative idea, that universities will be relevant in, in 15 years' time, 10 years' time, actually? That's right. Yeah, so this is a, a professor at Brigham Young, Brigham Young University, David Wiley. He uh, made the prediction that by around 2020, universities will become irrelevant. And the point that he makes is that uh, by then, courseware will be available free of charge to anyone, anywhere, anytime. So the idea of enrolling at a university and going to lectures and taking notes um, the way that you and I, when we went through university as undergrads and postgrads, the way that we did it, that that's the time, uh, that, that that's uh, going to become a thing of the past and universities won't be able to operate that way anymore. I think it was in last our last podcast on open access, we mentioned that MIT, um, I think their research publications, we mentioned their research publications were going to be um, open accessed, but also that they provide free courseware already. So that trend is already happening and David Wiley predicts that by 2020 that will be um, the way that all universities are operating. So that's a, 
a fairly unsettling thought for the universities and, and their um, operators. So the question is, what will universities be doing in 2020? How will they survive? Right, and so what was um, what was David Wiley's prediction as to, or a prognosis as to how universities actually will still make money? So yes, his prognosis was that uh, the way that they will earn revenue is that uh, you will have to be an enrolled student if you want to earn a degree from that university. So that's a, that's a great thing because you uh, you can offer your courseware if you're a university. You can offer your courseware and so forth for free. But, which is a very attractive option, obviously, um, but if you do want to graduate, then you need to be enrolled at that university. So there are still ways uh, for universities to operate under that kind of environment. It's just a, a, a fairly disruptive uh, change to the way that they're operating now. Yeah, and it seems to me, Chris, if we're talking about how you still make money, that there have been lots of different ideas suggested, but they seem to fall, for me, they seem to fall into one of two camps. So one is that one. Where, uh, and it's similar to the one where I give away my ebook free in the hope to get in the hope of getting other business as a result of it. Where the the free bit is just a marketing tool to get um, big chunks of money in other ways. So in this case, it's the university and the reputation of the university. So you pay for that, and and, and as well, it's not just paying for getting the it's it's not just paying for getting a, a certificate with the university's name on it, but it's also presumably that uh, enrolled students who have paid um, get other access so they might get access to tutors and lecturers um, they might get their assessments marked in in certain ways rather than just multiple choice online uh, self-assessment tools so you actually get the courseware free but then you can buy into the much bigger package yeah. so that, that seems to be one model the other model seems to be this model of if you want some if you want most of the most of the value free, you can get it free, but there will be a tiny percentage of users who want the premium version, and they'll pay a little bit more to get a slightly enhanced version of the of the free offering. So the, again, the two models are either you offer something free in order to sell something else, or you offer something free in order to upsell to something slightly better. Right, and I think Chris Anderson refers to that as like a, a freemium. If, so, for instance, you uh, can sign up for Flickr and you can use Flickr's basic service for free, but they also offer a premium service called Flickr Pro, which I think costs about $25 US per year. And then you have uh, a much more enhanced capabilities in that you can, um, I think you've got an unlimited amount of storage of photos, whereas with the basic service that's capped. The amount that you can upload per month is capped with the basic service, and I think it's unlimited with uh, Flickr Pro. So that's the, the freemium uh, business model based around a free basic service and then um, a premium service that costs a bit more. Yeah, when you say a bit more, it's like it's a ridiculously small amount more because what they're saying is for $25, so you can use it free and for most users, that free service is going to be good enough, but they're banking on the the idea that there are going to be some people who are to start off using it free, maybe to try it out, see whether it works. Um, they'll ask for new features which Flickr can then add to their add to the service, but there will be some people like professional photographers and maybe and media agencies who have a lot of photos who will pay yeah, $25 a year, hardly going to break the bank, but it's going to give them access to 
a, a lot more for very little money. And the, and the way it works is because of something you mentioned earlier, Chris, that, that web services are very, very cheap to run. So it makes sense as a business model for an organization like Flickr, to, given that it costs almost nothing, they, it makes sense for them to offer it free to as many people as possible, knowing that their, their business model will still support a, a paid service as well, and that's good enough to keep them in, in operation. And as Chris Anderson points out, I think they work on about a 1% rule. So uh, the economics are that for every 100 users, 99 are using the free basic service and one of them signs up for the professional pay some money per year service, the, the, the premium service. Um, and he contrasts that with uh, we've had free around for ages. Uh, he starts in his article with the example of Gillette shavers, whereby you give away the, the shaver and you sell the razor blades, the disposable blades. But in that case, uh, the economics are such that for every um, you sell, for, for, the, for, one, for one free handle, you sell lots and lots of blades. But here it is like um, the blades are completely free, and you only sell one in a hundred. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's the other way around, isn't it? It's not the idea of giving people a free sample so that they then they, they they try it out, they like it, and then they buy the, the paid package or, if you like, the add-on in the case of the razor blade. It's not that at all. It's saying for most people you offer it free and a few people will buy the premium. So I think that's the second example I meant, Chris, whereas the first one is where I offer a free teleseminar because I want people to – that's like the older model because I want people to experience it, realize that there's value in it, and then sign up for the paid service that I've got. Yep, the free sample model, yep. So one of the other ways um, that these free services come about is that there's no, there's not necessarily a business model associated with it. It is an, an altruistic act. So as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, Focal Point um, is motivated in part by an altruistic act. We're just interested in spreading the word about using the internet in your business or in your personal life, uh, and we're not particularly interested in using it as a, a means of uh, building a business. Um, and many, many free services on the web operate in that fashion. So the greatest example of that is Wikipedia. That's not uh, a business-based website. That's a free encyclopedia that's built by people who want to create something that's good and useful and informative, and that's been immensely successful. Yes, and again, there's some interesting psychology around that. So behavioral economists like Dan Ariely uh, are looking at the the influence of offering things free and that they, they find that there's the psychological payoff may be greater than just the monetary or the standard economic payoffs that the standard economists would look at. And I remember reading an, uh, about a study that was done asking lawyers whether they would do work at a lower rate for people, disadvantaged people in the communities. So I forget the exact study, but let's say it was senior citizens. So senior citizens who required legal help um, would lawyers do it at a lower rate? And most of them said, no, we won't. We've got our professional rates and um, we've got to stand by that and we've got to be consistent and we've got, uh, you know, we've got perceived quality and we have to maintain the quality. So then they asked lawyers, would you do work for senior citizens on a pro bono basis? So would you do it free? And in that case, they said, yep. Yep, we'll do it free. So more more of them were willing to do it for nothing than for a lower rate. And well, they'll do as good a job as they would if they were being paid their professional fees. Okay. Which is similar to your open source idea, Chris. So, um, so I, can't, I don't have the programming skills to be able to enhance Firefox and add something that I want. But somebody will, and they'll, they'll make it available to the community um, for, completely free of charge. And it'll be as high quality as their professional life if they happen to be employed by somebody as a programmer. Yeah, that's right. There are 
tons of people out there who just enjoy developing software and do it purely for that personal enjoyment uh, and possibly also for the idea of contributing to uh, a greater good. So yeah, there's plenty of altruistic motivation behind a lot of the free services on the internet. And in fact, some people are now recognizing the, the value of this. I remember uh, about a year ago when Facebook was still on its, on its rise of popularity and was still uh, definitely on the upward part of its growth curve, where people started asking the question, you know, like maybe um, Facebook is a free service, as people who are on it know, but people were saying, well, maybe that's not good enough. Maybe they should be paying us because they're building out this huge database. They're building up this huge network, and they're going to be making money by selling ads, and sure enough, that's what they do. And people were even questioning, should Facebook be sharing some of its ad revenue with the Facebook users? <laughs> so it's not even a case of should I be getting it for nothing? It's should they be paying me for using their service? And that has happened, hasn't it, Kihan, with some websites. So, for instance, some um, video sharing websites. I think YouTube and I think the other ones, Reva, will share some of their um, advertising revenue with um, with uh, users whose accounts generate a lot of traffic by, by virtue of the content that they're uploading. Yep. Okay. And the other example that you mentioned, Chris, was uh, mentioned when we were offline was this Radiohead album. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so Radiohead's last album, In Rainbows, they decided to uh, pre-release that online um, as a downloadable version. Um, and they came up with a radical idea that you could pay as little or as much as you wanted when you downloaded it. Um, and they found that uh, most people did um, pay nothing for it. They downloaded it for free. But a lot of people um, actually did decide to pay some money for it. And as a consequence, uh, they, um, I think the album made more from its online sales than the previous album, which was distributed through just standard channels where you went to, I don't know, let's say iTunes or something like that, and you paid to download it. So it earned more in download revenue than its preceding album. And when it was finally released um, through standard channels on CD, it deba debuted on the UK charts at number one. So that was a, a very... Um, radical and innovative way of um, distributing music. And I think uh, recently, a few months ago, Monty Python did something similar where they released some of their material on YouTube and, right. that and that increased the DVD sales of the Monty Python shows. That's right. That was very clever, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked a lot about this. So what can we do? So what are some of the things that we can do, that we should do, things that we should look out for? And I guess we should look at this in, from, from both viewpoints, if you're a consumer and if you're a, pro a provider of information. So maybe we start as a consumer, Chris. Yes, so um, the obvious thing is that uh, when you're looking for things um, on, on, online, then um, there's most likely a free service or free content available. So keep your eye out for it in the first place. And then when you're using a free service, consider paying for uh, the upgraded premium version of it because um, it might be worth the additional services. So I can vouch for that. There's been a couple of uh, services that I've started using online for free. Um, and then once, um, once I've used it for a while, sort of used the, used the basic free service to its capacity and realized I wanted more and have been prepared to pay for the premium service. Um, but at the same time, remember that uh, there's not always a free lunch. Sometimes it is completely free and there, is, there are no strings attached. But some of these free services do come with some hidden costs. Sometimes you're giving away personal details and that can be turned into um, a bit of a nuisance in that you start getting spam. Um, 
or you know you could be locking yourself into uh, relying on a service that when it comes to you having used the free trial period or used the basic service to its capacity you've got a lot of um, time invested in that process and the premium services are quite costly so make sure that you check out the details and the terms of services for any premium services that you might have to pay for later on. I mean, as an example of that, Chris, I signed up for a service which does my teleseminars and webinars, and it's not a free service, but they did have a, a free 14-day trial, I think on a 30-day trial, so it's quite generous. I got the full service. There was no, It wasn't crippled in any way, uh, and I had tried that for a month, and I remember thinking, okay, I'll try it out once, and then I'll cancel this and try another one, and then cancel that and try another one, just so I got an idea of what was available before committing to any one of them. But I found it was so good that I had no qualms at all about now letting that roll over into the paid service. And it's it's not one of those cheap services, like $25 a year. It's actually $100 a month. So it's a reasonable investment, but the fact that they gave it to me free for 30 days meant that I didn't even look at any other option because I was just completely happy with that one. Very good. Yeah, okay. So the other side of the coin is that if you're a provider, and these are the sort of people that I, I deal with. I am one of myself. You are one yourself, Chris. And uh, my clients are those sort of people who are providing information and wondering whether to do it free. So I would offer three bits of advice as well. So make more free stuff available. Make more of your stuff free. Don't hold on to it uh, because it helps you build your reputation online and helps you get more traffic to your website. Um, the second thing is <laughs> just have a look around this, this valuable information that you've collected and over the years lovingly collated and filtered and made create, create in a way that's meaningful and uh, engaging to people. Just so you might be surprised or shocked to find that it is available freely elsewhere. So it may just be a wake-up call to you to get, do a bit of a reality check and realize that this information which, you, which you're trying to sell may be less valuable simply because it's available free already. Um, and then the third point is that the information no longer has value. It's the consulting service or the other services that you can add to take those things away from commodities to becoming more about services and experiences. And I'll give you an example, Chris. I, again, I was listening to a podcast uh, about somebody talking about the way that the economies have changed now. So we used to be very much an agricultural or primary industry economy. Um, and he used the analogy of coffee. So he said coffee beans are worth, let's say, two cents by themselves. If you package them up and sell them in a, on a supermarket shelf, you can sell the same coffee bean for, let's say, 50 cents. If you sell it in a diner where you make somebody a cup of coffee, you can charge a dollar or dollar fifty. And so his example was that was a service, but the next one up was uh, Starbucks, which is an experience. And so, you know, this this is an American speaker where he thinks Starbucks is good coffee, but. <laughs> Leaving that aside, he said, if you if you give people an experience, you can sell that for three or four dollars. And I think we've got to be moving more for, uh, from information as being a raw material or a commodity to the service and the experience. So that would be my last piece of advice. Very good. Excellent. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time talking about actually talking about a new development in Australia that the Rudd Labor, Labor government has announced this national broadband network proposal. Then we're going to be talking about that in the next podcast. Look forward to speaking to you then, Gihan. Likewise. Thanks very much, Chris. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast. Listen to all our past issues. 
or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time. <laughs>